Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 17. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Now let's be clear about something. Before we get going out the gate, let's be clear. Listen, when you talk about the Roman Catholic Church, listen, this is very important. When you talk about the Roman Catholic Church, you are not talking about Roman Catholic people. When you talk about the Roman Catholic Church, you're not talking about Roman Catholic people. You're talking about the papal order or the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. You're not talking about the people. I know and you know that there are some very godly, wonderful Catholic people in the Catholic Church. We all know some. So all Catholic people are not bad. All Mormons are not bad. Some just don't really understand. Then they're not all bad. All Jehovah's Witnesses are not bad. All people from Calvary Chapel are not bad. (laughs) Say amen. Amen. You're like, preach it, bro. That's right, man. I go to Calvary. I'm not bad. Not all the people are bad. Some are very godly people and some don't really understand. When you're talking about the Roman Catholic Church, you're not talking about the people. The church is a reference to the papacy or the hierarchy and not the people. And it's very interesting because many Catholic scholars and many Catholic priests would read chapter 17 and would tell you that this is a picture of Rome, of the Roman Catholic Church. They would tell you, though, that this is pagan Rome. And that's a whole nother Bible study. But they tell you that this is pagan Rome, not Rome as they know it. But many scholars admit that. Now, I believe that this isn't exclusively the Catholic Church. I believe this is also ecumenical ecclesiasticism, which is your word for today, which means one world church headed by the Roman church. To include Protestantism, pagan religions, cults, and other isms, and all of those who are not true believers during the tribulation, they will join the great harlot and are a part and will be a part of this Roman system of idolatry. Now, let me draw your attention again to verse 3. Notice John says, I saw the woman riding the beast and she is full of the names of blasphemy. It is true in the Roman hierarchy, in the papal order of the Roman Catholic Church today, the Pope claims to hold the place of God on earth. That is sad, but true. They claim to have authority over the human conscience. They claim to have power 
to forgive sins by granting indulgences. What are those, Rodney? Well, I like to call them pre-forgiveness. Pre-forgiveness? Well, tell me how I can get that. Pre-forgiveness or indulgences means that if you know on Saturday night you're going to go out and sin it up, you're going to go out and, man, you're going to party hardy and get into some serious sin. You could go to church that Saturday morning, buy some forgiveness or indulgence, pay out some money, buy forgiveness, go out on Saturday night, have a good time, send it up, and you will be forgiven. It's called an indulgence. You pay to indulge your flesh. Now, some of y'all are thinking, how can I find out more about that, Rodney? <laughs> I like to, bro. And so, and, and unfortunately, sad but true, the Catholic Church has amassed a huge amount of wealth. Because folks like to sin, y'all, that's just the truth. So they've amassed a lot of wealth because of that. The Roman church teaches obedience to the church is necessary for salvation. And the scarlet color of the beast is the color of the papacy. The papal throne is scarlet. The cardinal's hats and robes are scarlet. Originally, scarlet was Satan's color. And scarlet became the color of atheistic communism in Russia. You know that. They were known as the reds with their red symbol. Now, as I said, the history of the Catholic Church ain't pretty, and it's not very bright. As a matter of fact, it is a bloody history. If you were to, and I'm sure that the bookstore is out of them because I, I picked up uh, this one uh, myself here recently, and I, I thought that uh, Elvira and they had one more in the, in the, in the bookstore back there, but uh, you most certainly can order this book. Uh, Halley's Bible Handbook. And if you're a Bible student, you should order this book and should have this in your library. Um, Halley's Bible Handbook. And it's in this book, in this handbook, you can learn a lot about the history of the popes. There's this period, as a matter of fact, when I was doing my study, there's this period known as the, uh, the darkest period of the papacy. In this book, you'd find this on a uh, page 774 in the section on uh, church history. The darkest period of the papacy. Adrian II, John VIII, Marcus, with these popes began the darkest period of the papacy. The 200 years between Nicholas I and Gregory VII is called by historians the midnight of the dark ages. Bribery, corruption, immorality, and bloodshed make it just about the blackest chapter in the whole history of the church. And then there's the rule of harlots. And you can read about that. Very, very interesting. And then there's another section called the depths of papal degradation. Leo VII, John Thirteenth, Benedict VI, Donus II, Benedict VII, John the Fourteenth. These are Roman numerals, y'all. Boniface the Seventh, and a bunch of other guys with numbers after their names. <laughs> Murdered Pope John the Fourteenth. 
and maintained himself on the blood-stained papal throne by a lavish distribution of stolen money. The Bishop of Orleans, referring to John the Twelfth, Leo the Eighth, Boniface, and a bunch of other guys, called them monsters of guilt, reeking in blood and filth, Antichrist sitting in the temple of God, they called him. And then a bunch of guys bought the office of the Pope with open bribery. This was called simony. That is, the purchase or the sale of the church office with money. So, here in our text, John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks of future things that the church would be guilty of by joining herself in the last days with the power of the Antichrist. Blasphemies, written, full of names of blasphemies, having seven heads, John says. Awful time in church history. Let me draw your attention again to verse 6. Notice John says, I was amazed when I saw the woman who was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, why is John amazed? Because this isn't, understand, this isn't pagan persecution like it was happening in the days of John. This is religious persecution. This is the false religion thirsty for blood. False religion is always the worst enemy of true religion. You know that. You don't believe me? Look in the Gospels. Who did Jesus have the most trouble with? The Pharisees. Those who were religious False religion is always the worst enemy of true religion. Now, history tells us again, the Catholic Church is quite a bloody history. Listen to this fascinating story. In the days when the Roman Catholic Queen Mary ruled England, 288 Christians were burned at the stake for their faith in Christ between 1555 and 1558. There was a martyr by the name of John Rogers, who stood, who as he stood, chained to a stake, and the fire rose around him, up his legs and shoulders. He rubbed his hands in the flames as if he were washing his hands in cold water. And then he lifted up his hands to heaven and he held them high until he was completely consumed by the fire. This was done in the name of the church. But Rogers went to the stake with such calm and dignity that the French ambassador wrote that he went to his death as if he were walking to his wedding. His courage was so evident that the, a huge crowd burst into applause when they saw him walking to the stake. All this done in the name of the church. And then, of course, who can forget the Spanish Inquisition, which killed 15 million Christians, all who refused to bow the knee to the authority of the Roman church and were tortured and killed. August 5th. 1522, 135,000 Christians were killed in a single day by order of the Holy Seat in Rome because they wouldn't submit to papal authority and all of their possessions. Again, sad but true, the Catholic Church has amassed a lot of wealth from people whom they have slaughtered and taken their possessions and, and, and distributed them between the church actually and the state. All of this can be discovered in this book, and there's another book uh, called uh, Two Babylons. Somebody between service asked me, uh, Two Babylons, um, which I'm not quite sure is still in print. And then there's another one by uh, um, Sir John Anderson. 
Babylon then and now, I think it is. If you need to know, ask me at the service, I'll look it up again. Interesting, interesting. Amazingly, during the tribulation, the primary murderer of Christians will be the false church itself. Now, John is reading this, understand, and John doesn't get it. John doesn't understand. Like me, I'm reading this, I'm going, what in the world is this? And John reads this, and he doesn't understand it. And so the angel, he gives him further clarification. Notice in verse 7, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? John said, I don't understand. Why'd you marvel? I tell you the mysteries of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit to go to hell. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that notice was, underline that, and is not underline that, and yet is, underline that. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was in verse 11 and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. Now, what in the world does that mean? The angel, notice, explains the beast that carries her has seven heads and ten horns. Now, we talked about this in Revelation 13. You need to read Daniel chapter 7. The ten horns are a reference to the ten-nation confederacy. A combining of nations that once comprised the Roman Empire is to be revived in the revived Roman Empire. And out of it will come the little horn of Daniel, which is the Antichrist, who controls the ten nations. And it's these ten nations who will carry the woman. And then notice John is told that the beast he saw was, notice that in verse 8, in that he was existing prior to John's time. And the beast is not, in that there will be a time when the Roman Empire will not be around. And then the angel said, and yet is, in that the Roman Empire, led by the Antichrist, will be empowered by Satan himself, and yet he will eventually end up in perdition, or hell. And then notice in verse 9, the seven heads. The angel tells John exactly what the seven heads are. The seven heads are seven mountains. Now, as John would read this or write this, and as those would read John's writing, listen, they would completely understand what the seven mountains are. This made perfect sense to them. For example, here's a time for audience participation. For example, I said to you, the Big Apple. You would say to me, what city? New York. New York. I said to you, the city of brotherly love. You would say, what city? Which is my city. City I'm from. Philly. So, as the readers would read this, and John would write, the city of seven mountains, they would immediately think Rome. They would think Rome. The city of seven mountains has always been known as the city of Rome. The false world controlling religion based in the 
Babylon of Genesis will culminate in the book of Revelation ruling from Rome. And in the same city are seven kings. Did you notice that in verse 10? Five have fallen, one is alive, and one has yet to come. The five have fallen are the, are the Roman Caesars. The five fallen Roman Caesars. That will be Julius Caesar, who was killed. Tiberius, who was poisoned. Caliglia, you know, who was assassinated. Claudius was poisoned, and Nero committed suicide. And that's the five that are fallen. And then the sixth one is Domitian, or the one who is is Domitian. That is the Roman emperor who is living at the time that John is writing. Later on, he was killed. And then the other is not yet come. This is a reference to the Antichrist, who will be the king over the reactivated and revived Roman Empire. And it's interesting because after Domitian, there was never again an official emperor of Rome, but one is to come. And the beast that was and is not in himself going to be the eighth is of the seventh. Did you see that? And is going to hell. In other words, one of the seven rulers will reappear. His spirit will reappear. And he will come back or reappear as the eighth ruler, not in body, but in spirit. Now, if you talk to someone in the early church, do some study. They believe that it was wacko, sicko Nero who persecuted the Christians in some awful, awful ways. So then the spirit of the Antichrist will then be one of the original seven and reappear as the eighth. Notice in verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they have received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb. But praise the Lord. Notice, the lamb will overcome them. For he is what? Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him, that's you and me, are called, chosen, and faithful. And then he said to me in verse 15, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Notice that the ten kings are a confederation of ten kingdoms of the future. And they have the same mindset. They're going to give power to the beast. He's going to seduce the world and all the world will follow him. And then an amazing thing happens. They all gather together to wage a war against Jesus Christ. But we know because Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he will win. Amen. We already know the end of the story. Not like reading a book and you already know the end of the story. I start at the back of the book, by the way, and then I work my way and then I go in. Because I know the end of the story, and we know the end of this story. And notice in verse 16 through 18, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, underline this, these will hate the harlot and make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill Satan's purpose. No, does it say that? Say no, no, it says his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that Rome, great city 
which reigns over the kings of the earth. Before you shut your Bible, notice these shall hate the whore. The honeymoon is over, and like all marriages of convenience built on sin and ambition, this marriage won't last. Notice the kings make her desolate. They rob her of her wealth, vast holdings, enormous riches, art and gold and real estate. And then she is disgraced by the kings who strip her naked and expose her. Her moral filthiness is exposed for the entire world to see. Secret scandals will be made public and the enormous corruption will go public and make her desolate and eat her flesh. The church is destroyed and they burn her with fire and there's nothing left. And why does all this happen? Verse 17 tells us why. Because God has directed this judgment against religious Babylon. God will sometimes use a wicked people, here the ten kings, to be an instrument of his judgment against another wicked group. God has orchestrated it. God has ordained it. And God is in control of the whole end time scenario. And now, what, what do we know? Well, we know that God is giving the world exactly what it wants. The world wants a godless religion, a godless ruler, and God in the end times is going to give them exactly what they want. Chapter 17 is God's judgment upon a false religious system. And note this here in closing, it is God's judgment, you guys, not our judgment. It's God's judgment. It is for God to judge this end times situation, this church. It's not our job to, to judge and destroy the false system. It's our job to preach Jesus Christ. Amen? We must preach Jesus Christ and to help those to understand not the gospel according to the Pope, but the gospel according to the Bible. You know, if there's one thing about Catholics that I know to be true is that many of them don't know the Bible. They've never read this stuff. You guys come here every week and we teach verse by verse, Revelation Sunday morning, Isaiah Wednesday night, and we're always teaching verse by verse in our home fellowships with the Catholics. I know when I was a Catholic, I wasn't taught to read the Bible. I was told to come to church and let them tell me what it says, and sometime in Latin, I'm like, oh, hello, I'm getting nothing out of this. I'm hurting, man. And, and I was never taught to, to, to read the Bible. And then January 23rd, 1982, I became a Christian. And at that time, the Holy Spirit came in my life. And then I started reading the Bible for myself, y'all. I started to read the Bible. And I started to know what God has to say. Many Catholics, they don't know the Bible. And what we need to do is not go and say, you evil Catholic people. God is going to judge you. No, that's not what we need to do. We need to say, you know what? Hey, 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 let me, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who died for you. Let me tell you about the one who lives for you. Let me tell you about the one who died to take your hell that you might live and have his heaven. His name is Jesus. He's the one whose blood was shed for the sin of the world. I would bet you lunch. You explain these very simple things. You'd be surprised. They'd say, really? I personally never heard about 
for God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I never heard that when I was a Catholic. I wasn't a Christian. I went to church every week. Then Jesus came in my life. And it wasn't anymore about religion. It was about relationship. Going to church cannot save you. Say amen if you know that. Going to church cannot save you no more than if you go to McDonald's and stand there can make you a hamburger. Amen. Stand on your feet. I got to close. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you today. We love your word. We honor you. And we give you thanks. And Lord, we know these things. We see these things. We understand these things, these end time events. But yet, Father, we want to walk in humility and not be puffed up and not go out and hammer people, but to love people like Jesus did, to love people and to lift people up. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.